Pelotero Pickle episode 146. This is a end of season recap episode. We're talking Shohei. We're talking rule changes. I'm going to dig into some lag stuff and Chris has a rant about being on purpose. Check it out. Pelotero Pickle episode 146. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Chris Colabello. Chris Colabello is joining us, not as always, but we're just having fun with it now. A reminder, send us your questions, topics to pickle at pelotero.com or find us on social media at Pelotero Pickle, at Pelotero App, at CC20Rake, at Tuke Sitting. If you listen, you probably follow us. So find us there, send us your questions, topics. We love fan engagement so do that um hopefully our audio is better this week i we were talking over each other last week trying new web browsers so we'll see how it goes uh chris how are you doing today it's amazing when we start recording the show how fuzzy you get quickly and it's just extended conversation and so i have to play off of whether i think you're done talking or not but i'm doing well my hair is a little ridiculous haven't gotten a haircut in a while. So that's about it, really. Well, I think we should just do a good job pausing slightly after we're done talking. Uh, hopefully that will help. We'll find out. Uh, your hair looks fine. I cut. I did my home haircut last week, two weeks ago. But I am growing a mustache for November. My wife and kids will hate it, which I will enjoy. So I'm looking forward to that because they comment about it. So I, I had like kind of a beard, but I, I shaved everything. I trimmed everything except for my mustache. So I do have a mustache. Hopefully that comes out. And also I got my uh, Boston Prime hoodie on today. So shout out Travis Matthew for making an incredible hoodie. The material, I was I washed it and I was afraid it was going to lose some of its luster. But uh, phenomenal hoodie. Shout out to Boston Prime. Extra innings, Watertown for the hookup on that. It's my new favorite hoodie. I want to wear it all day, every day. Chris, you got one too, right? Yeah, I'm in the club now. Didn't we? Didn't we shout them out last week? So he's gotten two shout outs. Yeah, well, we. I wanted to wear it, so now I'm wearing it. So now he's now it's on video, even though it's a podcast. So we got two shout outs. It's all good. It's all gonna work out. You ready to jump into topics? It's all, it's all gonna work out. Yeah, go get them. All right, so now that the Major League Baseball season is over, we've got some recap to be doing. Uh, Topic number one, did Shohei Otani prove that two-way players can be a thing? So that's kind of a weird question on the show notes because he's been doing it for a couple years now, but he did get injured. Um, I guess the the bigger question is what is the future of two-way athletes, two-way players? Is this going to be a thing? Are more players going to do this? Is the injury risk too much of a deterrent for this? Uh, Chris, what do you think about two-way players being a thing moving forward in baseball? I don't really I don't really know why they weren't, to be honest with you. But I'm also the guy that doesn't think baseball is that hard from a physical standpoint. I think it's hard to execute, but... I think it's very individual. And 
you can only see the world through your own lens, right? So Marcus Simeon played 179 games this year. I think everybody should just play every game. I don't think it's hard. People talk about load management and all this crap. I don't get it. Like, I think pitching every five days and then DHing is super easy. So, yeah, did he prove it? Great. Uh, but I'm a cynic. I'm told you, we're, we're in full salt mode. So just, he's just doing stuff that Babe Ruth did 100 years ago. NBD. Whatever. Yeah, I think it's weird because you see this really start to break down at the collegiate level where – you know, high school, typically your best players are usually pitching as well as playing a position as well as smashing baseballs at the plate. So I don't know what it is about the college level. Is it just, is it too hard? Are there too many things to be covering? Is it overwhelming for the player? I don't know. I feel like if you're a baseball player, you're a baseball player. Just go out and do it. Um, I think the, the hyper-specialization of skills is probably a big factor in this. Um, arm injuries are a big factor in this with the DH, especially now that they have the DH rule for Shohei, where isn't it where when he comes out of the game as a pitcher, as a starter, he can become a DH now? That's correct, right? Yeah, it's the rule that existed in college for a long time. You were the DH before you're the pitcher. You can be the DH and the pitcher, so you can stay in when you come out. Yeah. Yep. So with that rule in place now, yeah, I mean, if – uh, it would be interesting to see how many stud players, he, like John Smoltz, Schmoltz, who's uh, Smoltz. Why did I say that weird? Uh, he was interesting. You would hear stories about him and his ability to like go out and like chase down fly balls and stuff. He would be a guy that I think historically we get a chance. You get like a guy like Mike Hampton. He used to he used to break baseballs as a hitter. Weird lefty throw, righty hit combo as well. Um, I mean, doesn't it just all come down to injury prevention and reducing, like if you have a super valuable starting pitcher, you don't want them to get hurt sliding to second base, trying to like stretch a single into a double. That's what it all comes down to, right? So it's not, but it's not even injury prevention. So you're alluding to it, but I don't, I think you're, and, and I touched on this last week, it's, it's excitement limitation, right? And, and it all, it's all commercial. It's the people, this league will have you believe that what they're doing is in the best interest of the player or your, like, it's just not. It's in the best interest of their investment for them, right? And when I say it's in the best interest of their investment, it's in the best interest of how much money can they make. They don't think about how it impacts the baseball team. They think about how it impacts their bottom line. And that might sound, I don't know, cynical to people, or they might not understand it. But if Shohei Otani wants to do both, he should do both. And if Aaron Hicks wanted to do both, because he could have done both, he should have done both. And maybe, you know what, He maybe he should have pitched more, right? Maybe you recognize that the guy is just a pitcher. You know when they generally – it's a weird dynamic because this is going to take us into the salary structure and the payment and how guys make money. If you're a zero to three guy, you're only making – right now it's like 700 and something thousand dollars, right? When I got to the league, it was half a million. But 
at that point they say, well, you know, they have team control and all this stuff and they want to try to have you be a good player without raising the bar of your salary demands too much. But then when you become that good player, they don't, they want to pay you less than what you're worth, which is a really weird way to have to look at the space. So if you're doing both things, for all intents and purposes, Shohei Otani is a $50 million a year player. Is that fair? Is that, that's fair, at least, right? Like you, at least. You should make low. less than that. Yeah. So if this is this becomes, I think, the problem with them trying to assign value to players. But again, they don't they don't mind paying Shohei Otani that ticket price because they're going to surround them with a bunch of 700,000s. And they think Shohei can make up for that money that he costs them, right? So um, full circle. Like you could, the you could make an argument. To me, is crap. Just real quick on the salary on the salary figures. I think you could make an argument that Shohei is probably a much better investment than the $700,000 player because he's with jersey sales, ticket sales, everything else. He's probably a more profitable player than some, you know, I'm not, I don't want to say no name, but low name player that's going up and down between AAA and the big leagues. But that's kind of the whole point, right? Like they're willing to pay Shohei Otani and Mike Trout what they think they're worth because the argument becomes guess what when we're out of contention in august or september people are still going to come watch shohei and mike trout if they're playing right it's they're going to pay to watch the games they're going to tune in on tv to see shohei do something cool and so the alignment and, and i think this is the only place where these people have any standing in my mind of roster construction being minimize the amount you pay or not maximize the amount you pay is that you want to try to surround good players with other good players. And when you surround players with a bunch of $700,000 players and try to make the argument that they're Welcome, Patrick, to the Patrick show. Didn't realize power. he wasn't muted while he sneezed. <laughs> a couple power and, sneezes. <laughs> yeah, and then log off. So that, anyway, like I'll just start that thought <laughs> <That's> over. <awesome. laughs> the 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 point of all of it is, you have to recognize that if you take two really good players and try to surround them with a bunch of seven hundred thousand dollar players you don't know what the $700,000 players are yet. And that's the problem, right? When you pay people, you pay base, you pay them for their track record. You pay them for their, their consistency as pros, or that's how you used to pay players. Now we're trying to define all this stuff with a metric and, and we don't really know if they're winning players or not, if they're capable of filling roles. I was with John McDonald yesterday, right? John McDonald to me epitomizes what, championship players are in the big league sam fold um uh, think back to uh, the, the the 2018 red sox you look at a, a guy like uh johnny gomes uh not superstars right not guys that are bona fide superstars but guys that knew how to fill a role knew how to deal with the circumstances they were getting put in they embraced those roles and because of that the, the team became a championship team 
And you might pay a guy like Johnny Gomes $5 million a year when his war says he's only a point one or a zero, but you're willing to pay that to get that guy to have the culture. And they just saw a thing on the, on the 2018 Red Sox. And then, oddly enough, look at who won this year, right? Bruce Bochy is at the helm where they went. They lost 100 games last year. They changed one thing. It was the manager, and they won. Yep. So, I guess the question is, should teams, like whoever signs Shohei, should they be really um, just going for it? Like how many teams can actually afford to do that? Can all of them afford There's it? There's like eight teams that can sign them. It's the two New Yorks, the two LAs, Boston, the two Chicago's, and maybe throw one more into the mix. So there's eight teams that can sign them out of the 30. Yeah. You could argue that the, the two Texas-based teams could sign them too, but I, I doubt it. Yep. Seattle might sign them because they have the Far East connection, right? So it's eight, maybe ten. Guess what? The Rays ain't getting them. The A's ain't getting them. The Royals ain't getting them. Like, it's just the Tigers ain't getting them. You, you know, by being that good, you've almost minimized your market, which is probably a good thing. But what do I know? Imagine if, like, the Kansas City Royals just, like, backed up to the Brinks truck for him, just randomly. Just, I mean, the, uh, the Colorado Rockies kind of did that for Chris Bryant. Just like, hey, here, come play here randomly. But now he's not surrounded by anybody, to your point. Well, it, I mean, I think the Rockies made that move strictly as a, hey, at least we're paying somebody move. Well, they got yeah. It was right. after they got rid of Arenado. Yeah, um, it is a weird dynamic where when you become so good, it almost makes it harder for your team to win because they have to pay you so much. And like Tom Brady would keep getting his deals restructured with the Patriots for that type of reason. Because when you're that good, you end up hamstringing your team. Well, yes, and in no, some capacity, right? in some capacity. So again, the lens, the lens I come at it from is, and I understand market forces, right? I was, I, I studied economics. I, I, I understand how things work. Players are trying to push the lowest and the middle up. Owners are trying to suppress it, right? Again, if you really look at the, 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 the negotiating tactics that have happened and how the last 20 years have really played out. We've seen the top end salary go like this, right? Every year, somebody's breaking the record for highest AAV, um, highest total value, like, or, or close to it, right? Median salaries have stayed like this and at times gone like that, right? So, and I know this through my experience, the union assumed that if the, the best players got paid the most, that the middle of the road players and the lower end players would go up with them. And strategically, the owners kind of outsmarted them and said, 
yeah, great. We'll pay Shohei whatever he wants. We'll pay Judge whatever he wants. We'll pay Trout whatever he wants. We don't care. But I'll tell you what, we can manipulate service time. We can manipulate free agent deals. And that's why in 2018, I was at the free agent convict camp because we had about 100 guys that had major league service time that couldn't get a job, couldn't get a minor league deal, which is never, it's literally never happened. Like the 20 years ago, if you played in the big leagues at one point in time, you wanted a minor league deal that was out there for you. Now they're not. So, cause you're different. You're, 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 they just realized that Chris Colabello, Ryan Rayburn, uh, you know, name anybody of, of that Ryan Rayburn, not to say that I had the same career as him, but just the, the 20, first guy, the 17th to the 24th guy on the roster, the 13th to the 24th guy on the roster, all the same, interchangeable. Ryan Goins, Devin Travis, Kevin, like Kevin Pillar's had a long career, made himself into a star catching the ball in the outfield. Right. But the the Atlanta Braves, like their fan base wouldn't have changed if it was Kevin Pillar or I don't know, Travis Jankowski, like they, they wouldn't have gone, Oh my God, we're a different team. Right wouldn't have been different. So those are the guys that have a harder time stick, sticking around now. In, in the past, they recognize the value of those players. Now, very few organizations do. All right. Uh, who is the face of the league right now? It's a good question. Shohei. Shohei. Shohei is way up there. Shohei. Shohei's way up there. I think Judge is way up there because of New York. I think Trout still gets some pub, but he's getting hurt too much. And he's boring. Yeah, but he's good. No offense, Mike. Yeah, I know, but no. We play on the West Coast. You're not flashy, and you get hurt all the time. So you get those three things working against you. I love him. I'd put him on my team every day. But I mean, I don't think it's a secret that he's not like a flashy, (laughs) exciting product. Sure. Like. Outside of his play, his play is amazing, but personality-wise, he's just—he's always been pretty mild with all that. Um, we got Cabrera's gone now. That's sad. Joey Votto is—I uh, guess the Reds declined his option. Is that what happened? He put out a, a heartfelt video, but uh, yeah, I feel like it's a young player's game right now. Shohei's probably the face. Imagine if he came to the East Coast, what that would do. Go in order. Give me your top 10 or give me your top 10 face of the leagues. Top 10? I don't know. I don't even know if I could do that right now. I think I would say Shohei, Judge, Trout, Mookie, Freddie Freeman. I feel like the Braves players need to be there. Bryce Harper needs to be there. It's like Acuna, Harper. Where am I at? Is it like six? Seven. I feel like the Braves were good this year. Anybody on the Mets? Lindor. No, he's not good though. He's he's good, but he doesn't produce. I guess that he was good some, when he was in Cleveland. People. He was trending toward face the league, and now he's not. Yeah, but it's it's amazing how quick it happens. Yep. Yeah. Um. I mean, 
trying to I'm trying to just let names pop up. I'm like trying to go mentally from city to city. Like I just said, Minnesota Twins in my head because they're a playoff team. Nobody popped up. Correa, Ugh, not really. We got to throw some, maybe Altuve, but he's not there. I couldn't. I can't go like I can't go Verlander or Scherzer. That, that they're not there. Corey Seager sh- could emerge, no. but he's he's not exciting. Yeah, he's he's not like he, the face. You know how you know he he's not a face of the league type guy. He was in the playoffs every year, so like winning has a big to do with this, right? Unless you play in Absolutely. New York, Boston, or L.A., winning has a huge to do with being like the face of the league, right? Lindor kind of made his stamp on everything when Cleveland was having that run of good years, and then now he left Cleveland, went to New York, which you would think would elevate him, and it's kind of lowered him because they've been so bad. Well, they just haven't done it. They anything. just have been terrible. Yeah. Um, Julio Rodriguez is one that you missed, and I think Seattle's like this weird pocket of energy that. Yeah, I don't think of that. Um, I don't think of Seattle as like facing the league, though. I know, I know, but he, I mean, he's got potential. He's he's in the conversations, but it's Shohei, it's Judge. I wouldn't even put Mookie in the conversation anymore, to be honest with you. Um. It's Shohei, Judge, and Acuna. That's it, really. And you could, like the other guys you mentioned, Mookie's in the conversation. He's definitely a top 10 player. People like Mookie. I think um, Fernando Tatis was trending, but then he got himself in trouble. The kids like, I always like, I always ask kids who their favorite players are. I think that's a really good, um, really good indicator of, of what. What's hot in the streets? A couple years ago, for, yeah. um, Tatis was way up there, but then he was a knucklehead. Yeah. Soto's too boring. Shohei isn't. Shohei makes a lot of funny faces and stuff, though. But language barrier wise, he still transcends because he's just so talented. Well, he's he's got really good energy too, even though he doesn't communicate well. He does cool stuff. He's like very. He's very expressive. He's opened up his personality. Yeah, like he's, yeah, he's since, expressive. Like his first year, he was more. But it's like Kawasaki did the same thing. He said cultural stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. He said to me, he used to say this. He go, Japan very serious, serious. You know, America fun, fun. You know, fun. So we, what you're saying is we need to get like Shohei and winter ball. <laughs> we need to get Shohei and winter ball. Imagine him in the DR just hitting tanks and like <laughs> pimping every every walk. Be amazing. Anyway. All right. Next topic, anyway. uh, lag. I doubled down on this over the weekend. Lag as being a big topic and hitting soon. I'm gonna I'm gonna push it to say that how hitters hold the bat needs to be discussed more. Um the grip itself and like, let's go to golf. Golf, people make a big deal about it. There's like the whole Ben Hogan. There's, you know, get the V's pointing towards your trail shoulder. There's, there's like all these like intricacies of the grip in golf. <clears throat> in baseball, it's like line up your knocking knuckles. Like, all right, cool. Or box grip or, you know, and some of the motor preference stuff helps with this with if you're axial or if you're large, there's there's different things that are going to be considered from a, from a grip and from a bat selection standpoint. But I'm talking about like where is pressure felt? How is pressure felt? 
Um, I had some good thinking over the weekend about how arcs are created. So I'm going to say this and just let it breathe, let it be weird. Um, you can like push the knob forward. You can pull the knob forward. You can anchor the lead arm and rotate. You can push the bat into an arc or like flick the bat into an arc. Um, I think what I like and what I prefer from a swing is is creating a lever. The lead arm is a lever into the arc. So understanding lag, understanding how the swing gets initiated. Um, it's all pretty intriguing to me. I think I'm getting to a point where it's, I had, a, I had a tweet where I said the swing is basically, it's two circles. The pelvis is a circle. The shoulders are a circle. Uh, the shoulder circle is tilted and angled. So that's something to think about. So it's a circle, but it becomes elliptical due to alignment stuff. Uh, the lead arm, <clears throat> essentially the lead arm, the lead shoulder, lead arm, hands, and bat become a double pendulum. So how how does that double pendulum get initiated? Is it through that push, pull, rotate, send it, or is it more of a lever-based? Are you twisting the double pendulum to create that arc? Uh, so I want to see the entire. I want to see the swing in terms of simple machines. Like that's that's how I'm trying to see it all. That's fun. I like it. It's fun visuals. I, I need to buy like a little mini skeleton and, and rebuild it with like rubber bands and uh, some, other, some other mechanical devices that I don't want to talk about at this current time. But that's my uh, why lag is so important. Basically, is, is lag active or is it passive is the question. Um, are, you, are you actively creating lag? Are you passively creating lag? Um, is it is lag a neutral thing? Is it a result or is it a cause? Things of that nature. Just let that breathe or add comments if you wish. And my interest level in this topic is <laughs> lagging. Is is yeah. where I'm at. I, this Listen. is so just so people can understand what the hell happened in the last fifteen years with you and I. Just to give you some context. You do some shit like this, right? Where you're, you see the swing and you go, you break it down to the layers of robotics, right? And you're trying to figure out how to build a skeletal recreation of it in 4D with, you know, femoral heads rotating within pelvic sockets. Say occipital. You, wanna, to you. you wanted to say occipital so bad right there. You, no, you I was going to go with flux capacitor. Missed, now I yeah, like occipital. So you're going to go flux like flux capacitor, tetrahedrons. There's a couple other go-to. Occipital lobe. Keep, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, the beautiful part is you do some shit like this. I sit here and listen and pretend that I have any interest in what you just said. Yeah. And then I wait for you to get probably three weeks further along because I, I can't understand a word you're saying. And then eventually through osmosis and following the conversations, because I can't help but pay attention even if I don't want to. Because I have no, I, I really have no clue where you're even going with the lag thing. I'm like, oh yeah, there's lag in a baseball swing. 
And then you just said passive or active. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. And so, yeah, what it, what it all boils down to is there's different ways to swing. There's different ways that are better or worse to swing. So ultimately, if you, if everything is about like you have a choice with how to do things, then you should be choosing the best way to do things. And there's certain... So- there's certain methodologies out there. There's certain techniques out there that people feel strongly about that I think are wrong or incomplete is probably a better word. And um, if, if you're standing up claiming to be incredibly right when a majority of the word, a majority of the world feels that there's something missing or something lacking, or there's like a, there's, there's pieces to the puzzle that aren't being addressed. Um, yeah. So big picture, right? Big picture. Let's zoom out from this conversation, right? And Mm -hmm. I know what you're referring to. What is the point and who cares and why? So I, I look at it from this lens, right? There's a bunch of people on social media screaming about a bunch of different stuff, right? They're just screaming about a bunch of different crap. If if you're in the hitting space, you're going to be exposed to some version of a drill video, somebody talking about the swing, somebody telling you they reinvented fire, uh, whatever, right? It's just a bunch of crap. And a lot of opinions. There's a lot of opinions. Sure. And I get exposed to some of the, the videos and drills and stuff like that. And I paid no attention to any of them whatsoever until a friend of the program, DJ Ferbs, sends videos to us and now i i open them because i'm, I'm assuming that there's some he corrupts he corrupts our algorithms so bad correct so now my now when i'm on instagram i get more hitting videos more stupid shit that i don't want to look at because it's some idiot doing a video of a drill that i've seen 400 times and then i gotta get exposed to one it was like and all everybody's wearing those microphones on their hats and their shirts now. And it's so stupid. And I, I, I want to be like, can somebody get original? Can somebody talk about real, authentic hitting stuff? And it's it, nobody, nobody's doing that. And, and that's why I, I've gotten a, a few people who reached out to me who are like, man, your social media is different. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm not trying to be like everybody else. I don't want to post a dumbass video of a swing. I don't want to post a video of a drill and be like, hey, this is hitting. I know hitting. Because you don't. Because no matter which one we do, I was just talking to another friend of the program before. And we were talking about, it was I was talking to Matt Swope about motor preferences. And we were talking about the application in pitchers and hitters, right? And he was like, yeah, it's way easier for pitchers because they control the ball, right? So we can apply motor preferences to a hitter. And guess what? You could still not hit (laughs) because at the end of the day, there's a bunch of other factors that go into it. So how we create lag to me is, is important in the sense that it needs to be owned by a player. And I guess this is how it wraps all together because the only person that can dictate whether it's good or bad is the guy hitting. I can't dictate if it's right or wrong for you. I can tell you what I think it looks like visually, but guess what? If you weren't on time, it's going to break down. If you swung at the wrong pitch, it's going to break down. 
So how do we deal with the anxiety and animosity that gets created when it does break down? And how do I not abandon ship on the fact that I could be wrong? And, and what it comes down to, Bobby, and, and this is, I'll, I'll circle back to this. There are two really important factors for a hitter. And this is probably the most important thing I've ever said about hitting that I don't think anybody even thinks about. Or maybe they do, but it's either intuitive or, or it's too, too simple. Number one, can you take a fastball in the middle of the zone and hit it hard on a line? Right? That's your barometer number one. And that becomes in flips, in BP, in a game. Can you take a fastball down the middle that you felt on time for and hit, it, hit a line drive in the field somewhere and preferably through the middle? Number two, can you make your go zone a little bit bigger than what it was? Those are the two indicators of your swing is good or your swing is bad. Because right now, every hitter has a certain size hot go zone, hot zone, whatever it is, right? Call it a little bit bigger than a softball, somewhere between a softball and a basketball. If you're a little bit bigger than a softball, can you get it to be a basketball? Those are your objectives as a hitter. That's it. That's all you're trying to accomplish. I'm done. Yeah, I would add in some timing stuff, some timing considerations to that. Um, but which, can movement make you on time? Or can, can does timing does can move can can efficient movements make you on time? Or do you have to be on time to create efficient movements? It's what comes first, chicken or egg, to me. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, how are you able to extend your timing window? If you don't establish timing to a fastball first, then you're setting off speed. You can't speed it up. So <clears throat> understanding when to move, how to move, what are the, I, I just, I see the swing through like lever through leverage through how do you, how do you make the bat move? And then what are the, the characteristics of the bat path that get created as a result of that? The bat so, can't move uh, on its I'll own. Add a, the bat, the bat cannot layer. move on its you, own. So uh, what a hitter should be focused on is can I hit the ball that I think I'm supposed to hit, which is the one that is in the middle of that, that rectangle with nine boxes in it. Right. And maybe that it's a little off center to one direction or the other for every hitter, depending on where they stand and what their swing profile is. And then beyond that, can I expand that, that circle to be a little bit bigger than what it is now? And then can I expand that forward and back, right? It, it becomes like a, even your go zone becomes like a, a tube or an, or an oval, a three-dimensional oval. Thinking of like, a, I'm thinking of a blimp. That's your go zone. How's that? Your go zone is a blimp. We just invented something. You just invented something. You don't want to be part of that with me? Your go zone is a blimp? Yeah. No, I'll I'll vote. I'll opt out of that one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a bean. Like a bean like bean shape, like a football shape? Like an uh, like an oval? Yeah, but not with a point on the ends. It's rounded. Sure. So uh, yeah, I mean then you can say like is it more flat? Is it more diagonal? Is it more vertical? Yeah, I'm okay with that. As opposed to a basketball shape. Yeah. An elongated basketball. 
Yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, because you want to lengthen it as much as you can. That's your timing window, right? You want to lengthen that timing window, I think. We're basically just talking about like a, a hot zone right now. Yeah. Hot zone shape. All right. Um, what if you look at it in three dimensions? Sure. I'm going to go last topic here is going to be your on purpose thread. So you had a tweet thread, Twitter thread about being on purpose. So if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Chris tweeted it on November 3rd at 1146. I'm assuming that's central. Uh, talking about being on purpose. They embody, the, they embody characteristics that define what successful players have done in arenas outside of sports. Doesn't mean they don't make mistakes. Doesn't mean they don't miss hit balls. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean they aren't emotional. Doesn't mean they know everything. It doesn't mean they aren't vulnerable. It doesn't mean they're robots. So check out that that tweet. Did you have anything you wanted to share with it that inspired that tweet? Uh, it just circles back to watching hitters all the time, right? When you watch hitters do their work. we're talking about intuition earlier in the show and how everybody needs to define everything nowadays and put a number on a swing and a a value to an outcome or whatever. And that's fine. But the natural tendency, as soon as you do that is to try to create optimization, right? And, And this circles back to like what Justin Turner said, which is why is a breaking ball that I got fooled on that I hit off the barrel off the green monster at 92 miles an hour, not an A swing. Why is that not an A swing? Because an A swing creates an A result. In my opinion, an A swing is not the act of taking an A swing. So the mistake in our game right now is we're, we're, we're searching for all this optimization right? From in terms of outcome, right? How hard am I hitting it? What, what, what launch angle am I hitting it at? How fast am I moving the bat? How efficiently am I moving the bat? When the reality it is the best hitter in the game is the guy with the best swing period. End of story. And yeah, that, that, that allows for like movement up and down the scale on a year to year basis, but the numbers that that guy creates 330, 30 homers, 100 RBIs, whatever. It's the fact that he has the potential to create that over and over again, right? And market forces will cause that number to shift, right? Luck, uh, environment, health, age, all those things, right? But hitting is a deeper problem to solve than just, can I optimize right now? Because in a certain year, you might not get optimization circumstances presented to you. The market force around you might not create them. You might not get pitched to like Barry Bonds did. You know why Barry Bonds was better than everybody else? Because the year he hit 73 homers, he probably got 94 pitches to hit out of the ballpark. And he hit 73 of them. Right. That's a dude. That's a dude. Right. And anybody that watched that season goes, nobody was pitching to him and he still was absurd. You know how frustrating it is to not get pitched to. And if you're not mature enough to handle that and deal with all the crap that comes with it, 
And there's a reason why guys that hit 300 hit 300 over and over again, because they put themselves in position to be successful over and over again. Like the New England Patriots put themselves in a position to win championships. Didn't mean they were going to. It just means that they were going to have a better chance than everybody else when they got the opportunity. And, you know, I, I get frustrated with the work. I get frustrated with people's mannerisms. I get frustrated. Like the on purpose thing is about understanding that you're bigger than just one outcome, that you're bigger than just one at bat, you're bigger than one moment. And being open enough to know that you're not supposed to be perfect is important. It's incredibly important. And the fact that you can still have fun while you do your work, being on purpose, the the way I think of it, the first thing that really comes to, to mind when I think of that is, a player who has the ability to engage in the eight swings that he's going to take right now, have a plan, have a mindset, have a thought process in each one of those, whether it's the same or it varies slightly, the outcome of that swing then gives him information and allows him to make adjustments off of that information in real time. And then once you're done that, you leave the cage and you go have fun with your buddies. You still pay attention to what's going on around you. That's being on purpose. As opposed to, I went to an amateur practice yesterday. And as soon as the data collection aspect of the practice got done, there was a cage wide open and 11 guys that didn't have a coach telling them what to do went and sat down on the bench. And everybody else was still working out, but there was no coach saying, hey, you have to hit right now. That's not on purpose. That's just, oh, I'm here and I'll be here. Sure. So anyway, <clears throat> I could go on a rant forever. Sounds like it. No, it's good. Good topic. All right, take us out. Because we're already over time. On that note, people out!